Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. TCU versus Michigan, Georgia versus Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for back-to-back national championships, and you can be ready for all the action with BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is NFL Monday for week number 16 in the NFL. Hope you all are having a fantabulous holiday weekend, however and whenever you may be listening We've got a great, great show planned for you today. We're going to talk about Bill Belichick's most infuriating New England Patriots season ever. Plus, we're going to hand out the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award to possibly Kirk Cousins, possibly another quarterback, possibly a quarterback whose team I can make fun of for their very existence. We'll see. All of that and more coming up on today's show. I do have to say, though, because... It's Christmas on Sunday, and I'm not a heathen, even though last year I did come back from Christmas dinner and record a 45-minute podcast about Baker Mayfield, which I will not be doing this year, even though Baker Mayfield plays on Christmas again this year. Despite that fact, I'm not recording on Christmas, so I don't know what happened in the Packers-Dolphins game. I don't know what happened in the Broncos-Rams game. I'll reiterate what I said on our Christmas special back on Thursday. If you watch Broncos and Rams, you are a deep, deep sicko, especially given the fact that Milwaukee Bucks versus Boston Celtics was played at the exact same time. I don't know what happened in that game. I don't know what happened in Bucks and Cardinals. But we do have all the NFL action from Saturday to break down today. And that's going to begin with a deep X's and O's analysis, but also, you know, I'm not an X's and O's guy. So a base level X's and O's analysis of the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys game. And first, right off the bat, my entire conclusion from that Eagles and Cowboys game was just, man, that game was awesome. That game was just freaking awesome awesome to watch. That was such entertaining football. You had a lineman for the Eagles get a pick six and it didn't even matter because the Cowboys could just do whatever they wanted on offense. The Eagles got a strip sack of Prescott 
and it was recovered by the Cowboys, and then they sacked him for another 10 yards, and it was third and 31, and so the Cowboys, who could basically do whatever they wanted against the Eagles' secondary, because the Eagles' secondary is trash and injured, which is a terrible combination for the Eagles, who have a 13-2 and record. On third and 31, Dak Prescott was just like, eh, whatever, we're just going to bomb it 50 yards down the field. If T.Y. Hilton runs a vertical route, nothing you can do to stop him. Nothing you can do to stop him. Which, by the way, found out T.Y. Hilton was a Dallas Cowboy today. Apparently he's been there for uh, about three games now. Didn't realize T.Y. Hilton was a Cowboy until he was hauling in 52-yard catches from Dak Prescott on third and bleeping 31. Like, it reminded me of uh, back in week two when the Dolphins scored three touchdowns in five minutes against Baltimore, and there was a third and 26, and Tua just bombed it down the field, and Jalen Waddle was wide open. And if Jalen Waddle had been led forward by about two more steps, I mean, Tua had to throw it 50 yards. It wasn't like it was a bad pass. It just didn't lead Waddle into the end zone. Like, Waddle getting behind a defender so much so that Tua could underthrow him by about two to three yards and still have an easy completion down to the goal line. Like, I couldn't believe that on third and 26, they allowed Jalen Waddle to get behind the defense. And it's the same thing watching. I knew the Eagles secondary had been terrible all game. And to just see T.Y. Hilton get 52 yards behind a defender and for Dak to just bomb it right on him and tie the game at 34... Like, this game was just awesome. It had it all going on in that game. My fantasy team took a dub with Devonta Smith getting two touchdowns. Devonta Smith had the best touchdown celebration I've seen all season where he puts on the ski mask, kicks down the door, or the imaginary door, and starts stealing from the Salvation Army bucket, which, by the way, if you're going to troll a team, that's a great way to troll. Uh, my favorite joke from the, the weekend was Pat McAfee calling that the Farve because he's just stealing money from charity. Excellent joke. Wish I had come up with it myself. Best touchdown celebration of the year, Devonta Smith stealing from the Salvation Army bucket. Just excellent, excellent all-around touchdown celebration. No notes on my part. Just very good. If you were going to do the Grinch, I guess you could go down the chimney, but I think uh, I like the the stealing by breaking into someone's house and stealing from the Salvation Army bucket. Again, just no notes on that touchdown celebration. No no corrections. 10 out of 10 touchdown celebration. The the Eagles had five turnovers and like three of them weren't Gardner Minshew's fault. This game had it all. This game was just awesome. That's the conclusion I can give coming out of that game. But there are actually some interesting points to this game that I wanted to bring up. And offensively, the Cowboys could basically do whatever they wanted. Now, Dak Prescott started out the game 14 for 15 for 160 yards and a touchdown. The only difference was the one incompletion was batted at the line of scrimmage by Josh Sweat, caught by Josh Sweat, who's a, a defensive lineman for the Eagles, a former third-round pick who has over 10 sacks this year. Just a really great value pick by the Philadelphia Eagles. And so Josh Sweat bats the pass catches the pass and ends up going past Prescott and after getting past Prescott there, there's nobody there to really stop him and that was the only incompletion Dak Prescott threw on the first four drives of the game they get down to the goal line and have an incompletion 
And if I remember correctly, that drive ended with a, a, a field goal anyways for the Cowboys. So the Cowboys basically score 17 unanswered points. I mean, it wasn't unanswered. The Eagles had a score with, um, I believe it was... I believe it was Sanders who scored that one. But basically, the Eagles end up getting it 17-17. And even though Dallas is tied at this point and the Eagles would kick a field goal before halftime, like the Cowboys are outplaying the Eagles. The reason the Eagles are winning is because of the weird pick six from a defensive lineman, which, again, I talk all the time about the, the process versus the results in terms of like the chaos plays. Chaos plays happen in football all the time. They happen a lot to the Miami Dolphins. And so what I find interesting about the analysis is going through the Cowboys, um, the Cowboys drive charts and just seeing that, hey, they're they're like pretty much dominating this game, despite the fact that the Eagles defensive line is putting incredible pass rush on the Cowboys. Dak's getting it out in 2.5 to 3 seconds the way Aaron Rodgers does it. The secondary can't stop CeeDee Lamb. We'll get to CeeDee Lamb in a second, but it's Prescott going 2.5 to 3 seconds on each throw, and I'm just amazed by how the Eagles are... The best thing they're doing in this game is putting pressure on the Cowboys' offensive line, which is obviously one of the better offensive lines in the league. They've dealt with a whole bunch of injuries this year, of course, but... I mean, the, the thing the Eagles have done best this season, or the best in this game, is putting a ton of pressure on Dallas's defensive line. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, it's amazing that even as the Eagles are getting pressure, Dak is still basically perfect passing the football. I mean, he had like 12 consecutive completions uh, on the first uh, three scoring drives for the Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb had eight of those 16 catches, and he's clearly their number one target. But to see it be CeeDee Lamb over and over, sometimes for multiple 12-yard catches back-to-back, and then a touchdown that was just a back-shoulder fade for 15 yards... Like, the, the Eagles have Darius Slay, and after that, it's kind of a rotating door. A Reed Blankenship has not been great as their safety. And by the way, even Darius Slay on the touchdown to... I can't remember if that one was... I don't think that one was Gallup. I think it was... Um, I think it was CeeDee Lamb, maybe. The, the long touch... Yeah, it was a um, 39-yard CeeDee Lamb touchdown. The one that made it 14-10. Uh, to 10. Like Darius Slay, they were showing it on the broadcast. Darius Slay just straight missed a coverage on that play, and CeeDee Lamb ended up being wide open. So Darius Slay makes a mistake. Reed Blankenship, who's the safety, has is covering the middle of the field, and it leaves CeeDee Lamb wide open. So you have Slay missing a coverage on CeeDee Lamb. You have one-on-one between the safety Maddox and CeeDee Lamb, which was not a great matchup at the time for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And you had zone, co- uh, then you had zone coverage where Slay was um, the the short man, and the safety Blankenship was the deep man. And CD Lamb just ran through the middle, and um, Dak threw a pass in between the linebacker and Blankenship. That it was three different. I remember on that touchdown drive, it was three different players guarding CD Lamb and three different zone formations, and the Cowboys beat every single one from the Eagles. And I thought that was super, super interesting because even though Dallas was losing at halftime, it felt like Dallas was doing everything correctly on offense. Dak Prescott was having one of the greatest performances in weeks by a starting quarterback. 
and it was incredibly entertaining to watch because it was like, how is it always Prescott to CeeDee Lamb, Prescott to CeeDee Lamb? Those are the two best players on the field uh, for the Cowboys offense, and it's just Prescott to Lamb, Prescott to Lamb, Prescott to Lamb, eight times, ultimately leading to a touchdown in the first half, and it was 20-17, to 17, despite the fact that the Cowboys went down 10 nothing like six minutes into the game, and Dak Prescott threw a pick six. So when we get into the second half, the Cowboys forced, or well, I guess they didn't force, Boston Scott just straight fumbled the first possession for the Eagles, and it ended up going immediately into a Michael Gallup touchdown, which made it 24-20. to 20. And my takeaway at the end, I, I went back and remembered that Gardner Minshew had one of the fumbles, but I was basically like, wow, the Eagles turned the ball over four times and like two of them or three of them weren't even Gardner Minshew's fault, which I thought was really interesting because like my takeaway early on had been, oh, the Eagles offense is okay without Jalen Hurts. I mean, it's not ideal, but they're, they're at least moving the ball kind of like they would with Jalen Hurts. I mean... Minshew's passer rating went down at the end because he had that interception that led to the Cowboys' field goal in a in a tie game, which obviously that's the thing you can't do there. Like I made the joke that my mind was contemplating the Brock Purdy versus Gardner Minshew NFC Championship game possibility, which is actually a real possibility at this point, given the Jalen Hurts is basically ruled out already for next week, which suggests this is a, a more long-term injury. He'll play in the playoffs, but it, it'll obviously be a, a one hit away or one throw away from Jalen Hurts being ineffective as a quarterback, which really sucks for the Eagles. I mean, I'm, I'm recognizing that they have all these talented players, but it's not like Jalen Hurts is just game-managing their way to these victories. It's that Jalen Hurts' development has improved dramatically as a result of having all these players around him. And we did a whole podcast about this two weeks ago on uh, NFL Monday week uh, 14, where we were, talking, we were comparing Jalen Hurts' numbers to Josh Allen's numbers. But, I mean, Minshew throwing the pick at the end is obviously a big deal. But I'm watching this, I'm like, Gardner Minshew is clearly a backup quarterback. but um, And obviously Brock Purdy is clearly a backup quarterback. But the difference there is that the 49ers have all this. I mean, the 49ers and Eagles both have ridiculous amounts of talent. But Brock Purdy went 82 consecutive passes without turning the ball over until uh, Jawan Jennings bobbled a pass that ended up getting caught by Everett for Washington. Not really Purdy's fault. I mean, every quarterback has moments like that. He put it right where it should have been, and it got bobbled and just tapped into the air and, and fell to a Washington player. But still going 82 consecutive passes right off the bat without an interception is basically all you need from Brock Purdy when you have that type of San Francisco offense. And while the Eagles aren't the same case, the Eagles still have one of the five most talented teams in the NFL, and therefore they can make, at the very least, a deep playoff run by just avoiding turnovers similar to the formula the 49ers are using. Now, when they do have when we do have the inevitable Brock Purdy versus Gardner Minshew NFC Championship game, I think it's more likely that the 49ers will be favored even in Philadelphia because part of what makes the Eagles 13 and 2 in the number 1 seed is the high quality offensive production from Jalen Hurts specifically in the running game. Jalen Hurts this year has become an above average league passer and he hasn't I mean he's now thrown more interceptions. He had 3 last week, but 
he had three total interceptions in the first 13 games of the season and had 20, uh, 29 total offensive touchdowns, if I remember correctly from the stats we did um, with the Josh Allen comparison. 29 total touchdowns to three interceptions is and no fumbles is, is a huge advantage for the Eagles that Gardner Minshew does not provide. And so as I'm watching this, I'm like, I mean, this is a game that even if Jalen Hurts were in, maybe they would call more run plays for Jalen Hurts, and that would change the dynamics of the offense. But this is a game that they probably struggle with even if Jalen Hurts is in, because not only were the fumbles uh, Miles Sanders dropping it or Boston Scott dropping a fumble, it was those immediately turning into seven points and then the one at the end, three points for the Cowboys. And the other side of this, which was kind of a combination of first half and second half, was A.J. Brown, They in, on the first scoring drive of the game for the Eagles, it was 0-0, first drive of the game, uh, there were uh, 64 yards on three catches for A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown ended up having... One of the plays was like 51 yards, and he was basically wide open in the secondary, and the safety had to chase him down inside the 10-yard line. And the drive ended with a field goal for the Eagles. Like, the Cowboys held after stopping A.J. Brown from scoring a touchdown. But after that first drive where he had three catches for 64 yards and the drive only went, I believe, 70... I think it didn't even go 73 yards. I think A.J. Brown had all of the yards on that first drive, apart from, like, two rushing yards. After A.J. Brown had every single yard of offense on the first drive for the Eagles, they switch Trayvon Diggs onto A.J. Brown. And I know Trayvon Diggs gets crap for being, you know, go jumps for interceptions but gets targeted a lot, guy. From the first drive of the game until the fourth quarter, A.J. Brown had one target, zero catches, zero yards. After the first drive where he he goes berserk, 64 yards, basically the entire offense, he had zero catches in the second and third quarter and a good chunk of the first quarter because remember the the pick six ended up making it 10-0 and then the Cowboys had a long touchdown drive so they didn't really hold the ball much in the first quarter but basically half of the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter, zero catches for A.J. Brown. And that's something that not even Jalen Hurts can correct because that's, I mean, I guess the abilities of, of a number one corner, which Trayvon Diggs is very clearly a number one corner. I think that that's never really been up for dispute. The Cowboys have had a top defense for a couple years now, and this year's defense is great at forcing turnovers. Now, part of that is Micah Parsons and uh, Dante Fowler and Neville Gallimore. They get great pressure on the quarterback. We'll talk about that more once we get to the end of the game. But part of it is, like, Trayvon Diggs is pretty good in pass coverage. His pro football focus grades grade him as an above-average cover corner this season, and he hasn't had the same number of interceptions because people aren't throwing the ball at Trayvon Diggs as much as they used to. And I think a large part of that is just development. Like, when Trayvon Diggs was having the big interception seasons, that was his second year in the league. This He's now in his third season and as a former second-round pick and someone who is a true number one corner, you're seeing the physical development of Diggs as he's now guarding number one receivers on the Cowboys and forcing passes to either the other side of the field or into linebacking coverage, which is leading to more turnovers to the Cowboys. Of course, 
All of this is helpful when you have Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons makes everyone's job easier. The same way Aaron Donald makes everyone's job easier. Not just Dante Fowler, who I mentioned a second ago, who stole $50 million from the Falcons just because he spent one season sitting behind Aaron Donald. But also, having a, having a player like Micah Parsons affects the timing of the quarterback, especially a quarterback like Gardner Minshew. It forces more difficult plays and potentially leads to interceptions and the Cowboys are one of the leading they're second in the league in takeaways this season the Eagles are first in the league in takeaways so that you know you'll get an explanation of why the, the those teams have high have stronger defenses is that they force turnovers which helps supplement their offense which is why they are the top teams in the league and by the way we saw this point blank with the Cowboys yesterday like we were talking about where Diggs is shadowing Brown and taking Brown out of the game they're getting great pressure from Parsons and Gallimore, and as a result, even though when they get the ball out, Devonta Smith is wide open, and if Gardner Minshew can get to five seconds on the clock, the rest of the secondary just can't guard A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Like, it's just hard to, st- it's hard to play corner and safety in the NFL for five and a half seconds, and there was one play on third down where Minshew rolls to his left, and Devonta Smith is just wide open around like the 45 yard line and then on fourth and goal they run a same type of bootleg play where Devonta Smith is just wide ass open in the end zone for a touchdown like yeah sometimes you got to pick your poisons on your coverages but I thought it was really interesting how Diggs takes Brown out of the game turnovers half of them are Minshew's fault I mean the interception in a 34-34 game was was on Minshew because he threw it behind uh, I think it was Quez Watkins on the slant route so like that's a problem there but the conclusion I pointed to is even if Jalen Hurts had been the quarterback I think these same problems would have existed for the Eagles and so Minshew wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination again he finished with an 84 passer rating uh, again, that went down because of the interception in a 34-34 game. But even if Minshew hadn't thrown that interception, his passer rating would have been 92.3, which is league average. League average is between 91 and 92 in terms of quarterback rating. It depends on the season, but historically it's between 91 and 92 is your average quarterback rating. So Gardner Minshew played an average game. And the Eagles were, he played like an average quarterback. And the Eagles, I think, still would have lost even if Hertz had been in there. Because I don't think, even the increased production by Hertz and maybe just taking away that one interception maybe changes the game. I still think Dallas could have done whatever they wanted on offense. And they were able to take away A.J. Brown and take away Devonta Smith on defense. Now, will that correlate when Dallas plays a defense like Tampa? that's great at stopping the run. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens once we get to the playoffs, but I, I think in this specific matchup, it was really interesting to watch because I don't think Minshew was the reason that the Eagles lost the game. And the evidence bears out that Minshew wasn't necessarily the strongest part of the Eagles team, but that secondary was trash. And A.J. Brown got locked up by Trayvon Diggs. So I think you can point to those as saying that's part of the reason why this game ends up going the direction that it did. So now I want to just go to the end of the game real quick to wrap up this this breakdown of Eagles and Cowboys. So if you remember, Minshew throws the interception and the Cowboys kick a field goal. And so now it's 37 to 34 with about two minutes and 30 seconds to play. 
And on the first play of the next drive for the Eagles, Miles Sanders coughs up the football and it gets recovered inside the 20-yard line by the Dallas Cowboys. And if they score a touchdown, the game is over. Dak Prescott ends up running a read option, getting to the left side of the field, and he is wide-ass open. Like, the linebacker bit on the play fake, the safety wasn't in the best position. Like, Dak is wide-ass open on the left side of the field. And I'm watching this, and in my, in, I'm watching the, the formations, and I've watched enough football to be like, that's a touchdown. They had the ball at the 21-yard line. They had a blocker in front. There is nobody. The, the safeties and linebackers are trying to recover. If Dak accelerates to the edge, I think Dak can score the touchdown. And Dak ends up kind of using the lineman as a blocker, in a sense, But then he just cuts to the outside around the lineman, which suggests to me that maybe the lineman got in the way and maybe there was a bit of an indecision there. But he gets the first down, goes out of bounds at the six-yard line, and then there's only two minutes and one second on the clock. But remember, he got out of bounds, so the clock stopped. And so I was like, oh, man, they could have scored and put the game away, but now it's first and goal. But the Eagles still have two timeouts left. But they basically just got a bonus timeout because he went out of bounds with one second before the two-minute warning. I was just like, man, that was a really... I mean, it was great that he got the first down. Like, that was the more important thing. But they really mismanaged the clock on that one. And then with 2.01 left, obviously they have the call, well, we can run a pass play. The clock's going to stop no matter what because the two-minute warning. If we throw it incomplete, whatever, it's fine. And so they call the pass play... And the Eagles get great pressure again. I can't remember who it was on that on that one. Maybe it was Hassan Reddick on that play. But they get great pressure on Prescott. And Prescott rolls to his right, rolls to his left, and then just dives to the ground to take the sack at the 13-yard line. And I think part of it was like, yes, obviously you don't want to take the intentional grounding, but you're at the 6-yard line. Just chuck the ball through the back of the end zone, and you're fine. There's a receiver in the area, you just overthrew him. But Dak ends up just dropping to the ground before the pressure gets to him. And they touch him down at the 13-yard line, and I was baffled by that because, again, the clock is going to stop anyways. You're not saving a timeout. You're just taking a bad sack. And so it's second and goal at the 13. The two-minute warning passes. The Cowboys end up kicking a field goal. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, if the Cowboys lose this game... That's going to be an awful clock management situation again at the end of the game for the Cowboys. Same way they lost to the Packers. Obviously, we don't have to talk about the 49ers came in the playoff last year for Dallas. But uh, but I'm watching this. I'm like, man, this is a, a bit of a weird clock management situation. It was the second weirdest clock management situation I saw all day. The first one was the 49ers with fourth and one at their nine, at the Washington 19-yard line calling timeout to draw them offside. Then this is in the first quarter too, by the way. This is with like nine minutes in the first quarter. Burn a timeout on fourth and one, trying to get them to jump off sides. Then run an actual play after burning the timeout. And that actual play is toss to the fullback, triple option pitch to Christian McCaffrey. I was just like, that is just the most galaxy brain, dumbass clock management call I have seen in a while by Kyle Shanahan. And again, Kyle Shanahan is, is a great coach, just galaxy brain stupid on that on that play call. So basically, 
the Eagles get the ball, and they move it down the field with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith getting a couple catches, and they get the ball down to the 19-yard line. And on the final drive of the game, with the Eagles down to about 20 seconds on the clock, the Cowboys rush four to five on each play. One play they ran five, the other ones they they pass rush with four. And against this Eagles offensive line that's regarded as one of the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL, and Jason Kelsey has the highest pro football focus grade of any offensive lineman at center, against that defense, it's just bull rush up the middle, bull rush off the edge. And the, the drives end with Minshew throwing the ball out of the back of the end zone, Minshew throwing the ball away to the right, and then on fourth and goal, uh, fourth and ten, sorry, because they they pick up the first down, and then with 40 seconds left, they go up and spike it. So they spike the ball on first down at the 19. Second down, tosses it out the back of the end zone to throw it away because there's no time. Next play, rolling to his right, throws it away, fourth and 10. Then fourth and 10, pressure with four, throws it to the back corner of the end zone, uh, I believe it was, uh, maybe it was Quez Watkins who was running that route, but throws it to the back corner of the end zone, nobody there, 19 seconds left, game over. And they didn't even get one shot at either picking up the first down or scoring the touchdown. All of these plays were throw the ball away or throw the ball up and hope someone makes it to the back pylon. Like the Eagles couldn't get a single protection on the last drive of the game after they got the ball into the red zone. Which, by the way, that's that's great job, Cowboys. That's Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons also got great pressure on Minshew that forced the throw away on third down. And and Micah was, like, gassed, so he's, like, calling for timeout. And it looks like the Cowboys aren't going to give him the timeout. And I was having this debate about whether or not you take the timeout because your guy is tired or if you bet on Minshew being tired. And I would articulate you always go for your don't worry about what the opponent is doing just worry about your own guy in that situation and so they end up calling the timeout and then on fourth and ten they get pressure again and Minshew just has to throw the ball to the back pylon and nobody was able to get to that spot quick enough I mean the Cowboys three consecutive plays the Eagles didn't even get one shot at the end zone they didn't even get one shot at a first down realistically and that was just an incredible defensive pressure at the end of the game that made up for the weird clock management on the drive before. And the Cowboys win a game that they deserve to win. The Cowboys did whatever they wanted on offense, just picking apart the Eagles' secondary. Again, despite the fact the Eagles got great pass rush, picked apart the Eagles' secondary. The Cowboys on defense got great pressure on that last drive. They forced four turnovers. Dallas was the better team in that game. The reason it was so close in the first place was the the pick six by Josh Sweat to begin the game. But ultimately, the Cowboys kicked ass, and this game was awesome to watch. And Dallas got the win that they deserved against the Philadelphia Eagles. It might not help them win the division because the Eagles only have to win one game the rest of the way to lock up the division. But it was certainly, certainly a dominating performance by the Cowboys and one that I think the Cowboys can replicate. If you want an explanation about why the Dallas Cowboys are one of the three best teams in the NFC and why they might pose a threat against a team like the Eagles or even the 49ers, this is the game tape that you should watch because they executed on so many different levels almost perfectly. Dak Prescott had the best game of any quarterback this weekend, 
and the defense forced four turnovers. And if you go back and watch that last drive, amazing pressure over and over again against an offensive line regarded as one of the best in the NFL. This is masterclass performance by the Dallas Cowboys on why they are one of the three best teams in the NFC. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes leading me to a fantasy championship game. Shout out to Mahomes. Shout out to the Kansas City offense. And shout out to the eight-time, or sorry, seven-time AFC West champion, Kansas City. So did y'all see the the play where Patrick Mahomes stuck his hand down and uh, knocked off the pylon and scored a rushing touchdown for Kansas City? As I'm watching the highlight, I'm like, oh, man, don't break your wrist before the playoff. Don't break your wrist before the playoff. I just, that's how I can, that's the prism I consume football through now. I don't want to ruin the epic Kansas City versus Buffalo AFC championship game because Patrick Mahomes broke his wrist diving for the pylon or Josh Allen injured his shoulder trying to lay a dude out after throwing an interception. It's just like, come on, please stay healthy. Please stay healthy so that we can get the epic AFC championship game between Kansas City and Buffalo, unless Cincinnati ruins it before we get there again, but we'll see what ends up happening. Those are the three best teams in the AFC by far. One of the teams that is not the best team in the AFC, excellent transition, one of the best teams, or one of the the middling teams in the AFC is the New England Patriots, and this one's more just for the, the laughs of it all, but man... Bill Belichick has got to be so frustrated by this season because if it, I've read the uh, take a shot if you're playing the podcast drinking game, I've read the book by Seth Wickersham talking about Bill Belichick and talking about the Patriots and the Patriot way, and one of the things that helped them get to six championships is always let your opponent make the mistake and always remain even keeled if you're the Patriots. That's been one of the mantras of Belichick's way. Don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake. Let your opponent make the mistake, and we will capitalize on those mistakes. And in a sport where, again, winning 66% of the time makes the Patriots the greatest dynasty in the sport's history. Winning 66% of the time is makes you undisputed greatness. And winning 55% of the time makes you undisputed greatness. In a sport with such ridiculously thin margins, that is the way in which the Patriots have sustained and competed for many, many years. This year, the Patriots are going to miss the playoffs because of some dumb shit. Some dumb, dumb shit is going to be the reason the Patriots miss the playoffs. Obviously, we talked about last... Well, actually, we didn't talk about last week was the crazy Patriots-Raiders end of game where I was working at the radio station in Sacramento and we have the Raiders as one of our local teams and so as I'm watching this game I see that the Raiders 
are, are I here before I see that the Raiders get the ball off the pitch from Myers and go to the end zone? And I was just like, what the hell do you mean nobody's there to stop Chandler Jones? What do you mean he threw the ball to Chandler Jones and there's nobody in front of him to stop him? What do you mean that's how the game is going to end? But if you remember, that game ended on that crazy play. If you go back weeks and weeks ago, the Patriots won a game that was 3-3 to against the Jets on a punt return for touchdown with nine seconds left in the game. That's how the Patriots won one of those bullshit games, was nine seconds left going back to the house with a only punt return touchdown of the entire NFL season. And this week... The Patriots, who were down 22-0, to zero, or 22-3, to three, charge all the way back with interceptions of Joe Burrow, the defense that's just dudes that got cut by the Giants and Dolphins turning into above-average players, somehow ranked in the top 10. The Patriots' defense ends up holding Cincinnati and specifically holding Jamar Chase in the second half to basically nothing. They get the ball 22-18. They turn over Cincinnati, get the ball back going in to win the game with a minute to play, and Ramadre Stevenson fumbles the football at the 10-yard line. And in that moment, I just started laughing. Just started laughing. Because the Patriots... Losing is funny on a certain level, I think, to all of us because of how much winning they did for so many years and the fact that they're they're Boston and Boston's the you hate us because they ain't us type of guys. But even still, it was just a football game ending on that where they're at the 10-yard line. We've seen the Patriots, even though their offense has been bottom 12 in the league for four consecutive seasons, We've seen the Patriots win this game so many times. We've seen them be down 12 points. We've seen the team start making mistakes, and we've seen the Patriots capitalize on those mistakes time and time again. It's how they got to an AFC championship every single year for 10 consecutive seasons. We've seen it happen a thousand times before, and then for them to fumble at the goal line was just chef's kiss. Chef's kiss remarkable. Because this Patriots team is not talented. We've we've been talking to Cam about this, our buddy at DSD, for years. Like, the Patriots, talent-wise, are not up there with the top of the league. This year's example is the most ridiculous, because it's just Jabril Peppers and Raekwon McMillans and dudes who got cut by the Dolphins and Giants that are all of a sudden having great seasons. Jones is the corner. They just subtract Gilmore, subtract J.C. Jackson, slide in Jonathan Jones, and all of a sudden he's a star corner. Like The Patriots are just stupid with how they're able to build a top 10 defense out of anybody because Belichick's genius and schematics and the competitive advantage that that brings, in addition to having players do very specific jobs, and as a result of doing very specific jobs, they maximize their abilities to the point where Jabril Peppers is a top 20 safety, according to Pro Football Focus, despite the fact the Giants just up and cut him. His contract wasn't up. They just cut him at the end of last season. And so the Patriots can pull that off because they're the Patriots, even that wasn't enough to prevent them from two dumb-ass losses the last two weeks of the season. Dumb-ass losses that, by the way, before that, I didn't even mention because of the Stevenson fumble was so great. They had a Hail Mary 
in a 12-point game at midfield. Mac Jones pulled an Eli Manning, rolling to his right, looked exactly like Eli in that Super Bowl, and just chucked the ball deep. The Patriots' tight end bats the ball to Jacoby Myers, who catches it off the deflection and scores a touchdown on a Hail Mary to make it 22-18. to And I was just like, God damn, that is a funny way for them to come back. And then they get a turnover on the very next possession. They force a fumble of Jamar Chase, and they recover. And I'm just like, damn, the Patriots can still do it. And nope, it's just funny loss at the end. And then they got to go into Kirk Cousins' purgatory, which unfortunately for Mac Jones, he's not going to get to win the Kirk Cousins' purgatory award this week. But at the same time, I want to just shout out Mac Jones for being down four, no timeouts, 40 seconds to go, needing to go the length of the field. After everything that happened, all the opportunities for the Patriots to win two weeks in a row, they were in it and they flinched in a way that we're not used to seeing the Patriots do and has to absolutely drive Bill Belichick insane. Insane. How these Patriots... And you could go back to the Packers game, too, early on in the season when they went to overtime. That's three games that we're just used to the Patriots winning. And if they do win those games the way that we're used to them winning, like coming back against the Raiders, like coming back against the Bengals, and like beating the Green Bay Packers... They win those games, man. They got 10 wins on the season. They're kind of coasting to another wildcard appearance. And the thing I've said consistently is with bottom 10 offenses each of the last three seasons, like the Patriots had the last Brady season, the Cam Newton season, and Mac Jones's rookie year, and now this year with the dumb-dumb Matt Patricia as the, the offensive coordinator, With all those shitty offenses, the fact that they're able to make three playoff appearances in four years and or make two playoff appearances in three years, almost make three playoff appearances in four years and win an AFC East title is incredible is an incredible testament to what Belichick does with the defensive side of the ball. And at the end of the day, they're going to miss the playoffs this year just if those breaks go the way we're used to them going for the Patriots, all it buys them is a, a blowout in the wild card like last year where they literally did not stop the Bills from gaining a single yard of offense. But even still, getting to that point was a really, really good, interesting way for the Patriots to build that defense. And again, the 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 losing games in ways we're not used to the Patriots losing games ends up being the reason that They will miss the playoffs this year, and why I'm sure, despite having a top 10 defense of just rejects from other teams, that Bill Belichick has to be so goddamn infuriated by how this season has ended, particularly in those three losses that I think over the last 20 years we're all used to the Patriots winning those games. All right, everybody. It is time for us to award the Week 16 Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Every NFL Monday for the past two seasons, we have been keeping track of the quarterback or quarterbacks who find themselves down six, no timeouts, with one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field, a purgatory with which I spent my entire childhood rooting for the San Diego Chargers and Philip Rivers and which we now find joy out of watching Kirk Cousins do every single week. 
And uh, once again, the Vikings did Minnesota Vikings bullshit. They did Minnesota Vikings bullshit once again. They had a giant lead against the Giants. They gave back a giant lead against the Giants. It was 24-24. to And then Kirk Cousins did some bullshit. Third and ten. Bullshit pass to Justin Jefferson. TJ Hawkinson had 13 catches for 108 yards. Two touchdowns. Guess who had TJ fucking Hawkinson on their fantasy team? It's me. Guess who's going to a championship? It's me for the third time in five years. I'm sorry to be so narcissistic, but TJ Hawkinson had 13 effing catches for 108 yards and two touchdowns. And the Kirk Cousins bullshit lives on because the Vikings got a 61-yard field goal. No timeouts. 40 seconds to play. Tie game. Kirk Cousins pulled off the bullshit again. So even though it wasn't a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation, there was no perfect purgatory this week. So Kirk Cousins, you get the nod for one. And then we're going to give a nod to a first-timer this week. I know the temptation to give it to Mac Jones is always there. I think Mac Jones has been snubbed a couple times this year from the Kirk Cousins purgatory. But if there is none next week, we'll give Mac Jones the award next week. This week, I want to acknowledge Malik Willis, the possible future quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, who found himself down five, no timeouts, 30 seconds to play, length of the field to go, against the Houston bleepin' Texans. The Houston Texans, after almost beating Dallas, going to overtime against Kansas City despite having 300 fewer yards of offense. The Houston Texans finally got a win against the shitty, shitty Tennessee Titans in a stadium that had to delay the game because of power outages in the Nashville area. The shitty, shitty Houston Texans beat the Tennessee Titans. And for the second year in a row, Davis Mills goes into Tennessee and beats the Titans. The Texans have won four, or sorry, five football games. The Texans have won five football games in the last two seasons. And two of them are at Tennessee. Two of those five wins are at Tennessee. Davis Mills is now 2-0 and at Tennessee. Last year... That loss against the Texans inspired us to make the I was loud right about the Tennessee Titans mantra because they just could not move the football with Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown and without Derrick Henry. I said they were the sixth team in the AFC last year. They got the bullshit number one seed because tiebreakers were incorrect in awarding Tennessee the number one seed over Kansas City. And the Titans immediately lost in the playoffs after getting the bullshit first round bye to Cincinnati. So, in honor of the Titans losing to the Houston Texans, and in honor of Malik Willis being in his first Kirk Cousins purgatory, and in honor of the fact that Blake Jude and I said back in September the Titans should start considering trading Derrick Henry and blowing everything up, since that time frame, the Titans have gone on a five-game win streak and a five-game losing streak 
fired their general manager in what felt like a really short-sighted decision, and now Ryan Tannehill's out for season, and they're about to lose the division to the goddamn Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think to close out today's NFL Monday, there is no more perfect way to finish this off than to revisit last year's I was loud right about the Tennessee Titans because Lord knows if the Jaguars can beat the Titans in the division this year, I was loud right about the Titans again. What was I loud right about? The Titans got to tear this thing to the ground and support Malik Willis the way that the Eagles have supported Jalen Hurts. And if it doesn't work, look for another quarterback in the draft sometime in the future. But for now, Tennessee Titans are trash, the AFC South is a pyramid scheme, and once again, I get to be loud right about the Tennessee Titans. That's our NFL Monday show. We have episodes coming out all throughout the week, including some college football playoff coverage. Take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday week. I was loud right about the Tennessee Titans, and let it be known for the rest of time that I was loud right about the Tennessee Titans, and almost always will be loud right about the Tennessee goddamn Titans and the pyramid scheme that is the AFC South. Number one, this 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 was the easiest one to do, although I love me some Patrick Mahomes and I love me some Aaron Rodgers. This is far and away what I'm rooting for the most on Super Bowl Sunday, which is number one, anyone except the Tennessee Titans. That is my number one Super Bowl matchup. I want anyone to play in the Super Bowl other than the Tennessee Titans. It can be the Chiefs. It can be the Bills. It could be the Cincinnati Bengals even. It'd be weird if it was the Cincinnati Bengals, but let it be anyone other than the team I have said consistently is the sixth best team in the AFC. So my number one Super Bowl matchup is get the bleep out Tennessee Titans. I'm just fascinated that the Titans wound up with the number one seed. Uh, that was <laughs> bizarre. I mean, this is the thing that I've said all week, which is I, I know there are tiebreakers, but the tiebreakers are wrong. The tiebreakers were just wrong this year. That the Titans are the ones beat over the Chiefs, and the Eagles got in over the Saints. Both of those tiebreakers were just wrong in doing the analysis of who's a better team because i know the chiefs the chiefs could go to tennessee tomorrow and be seven point favorites and well the fact that they have to play the steelers on wild card weekend is unfortunate you take that away from the titans they are essentially what the Bengals are what the saints are what the chargers are and what the broncos are just by taking away derrick henry And so that is why, even with the easy strength of schedule, the Titans were always going to be in jeopardy because they can be beaten on any given Sunday. And I know that's a cliche, but the Titans can't score points. It's the same way the Steelers are, where... I wish the NFL could have gone to 16-team playoff this year so that the Colts could have played the Titans in the first round, gone into Tennessee, and beaten the Titans. Because the Colts are better than the Titans, The Bengals are better than the Titans. The Ravens with Lamar Jackson are better than the Titans. That team wins because they get that turnover margin, and I get to be proven right in spectacular fashion that the Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring points. Is that the schedule does not matter. Yes, the Chiefs may have a really difficult strength of schedule, but the Kansas City Chiefs are still really, really good. The Titans may have an easy schedule the rest of the way, but they're also not very good.
So they're going to lose some of these games because the Tennessee Titans, as we talked about with the Saints comparison earlier, they're about the level of an average NFL team 